Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. The hits keep coming in season six. <laughs> because who's back this week? One of your favorites and one of ours. True story. Amy Shaughnessy. Amy! Hey! Welcome back, Amy. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, Last season. Last, Last season. season. I know. And with this episode, Amy joins our three timers club. Once. Yay! Twice. Oh, three times. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's an illustrious group. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're in some pretty group. That's right. <laughs> well, Amy was last with us for episode 408, One More Weekend with You, which was nearly a year ago. Mm. How have you been yeah. In the last year. Wow. So crazy. I've been good. I've been keeping up with the show, obviously. Obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been pretty good. I did have, a, I'm going to talk about it because it actually ties into this episode. Ooh. I had a health thing happen last month. Oh, wow. Anyone listening with a uterus, please keep up with your doctor's appointments. They found six fibroids in me. Oh my gosh. One was 14 centimeters and I had to have a very large abdominal surgery. I have a huge scar now. It was a big, wow. big procedure. I'm totally fine. But this episode with Zeke coming home yeah. and healing and sort of sitting on the couch all day and not doing what he should be doing and getting up and walking and I related very hard to all of this because wow. I was in that mode not many weeks ago with my mom being like, get up, we got to walk. And I, did, I didn't I did want to. Now I'm much younger than Zeke. However, that mentality of like post-surgery, I related hard to it. So, wow. Oh my goodness. It's like, I get it, Zeke, but get up. I don't know how. <laughs> like get I'm up out. now and it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you're okay. Gosh, that's Thank you. scary though. Yeah. It was. Everyone do your due diligence, take care of your bodies, please and thank you. Uh, I swear season four of Parenthood convinced me like not to put off my mammogram. Like I, yep. you know, turned 40 during this podcast and I was okay. But, you know, it just made me not put it off. And I think yeah. sometimes it is interesting how these things can kind of get in our heads. Like, okay, okay, this is a sign to check it out. So yep. This episode made me trade in my motorcycle. <laughs> thank God. Melissa just took a drink as she I almost spit it out. I almost spit it out. I just really love the idea of you zipping around, like New York City specifically, <laughs> on a motorcycle, you know? Just, yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Caleb, start working on it. Class M <laughs> license, motorcycle license. I would never. <laughs> oh. That's my update. Let's talk about the episode, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, your, your last episode, One More Weekend With You, was such an intense, you know, that's when Ryan goes to the military funeral. Yeah. Christina starts chemo and is sick all weekend. It yeah. was just it was real heavy emotional roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. Now we're a little earlier in the season and yeah. less intense. <laughs> yes. The yeah. lightheartedness. We're just dealing with some divorce and some unruly children and just yeah, yeah, just like, basic. Well, John style. Wayne, you know. Yeah. That's, John yeah. Wayne, exactly. It's Oliver <laughs> Rome at a meditation ready. <laughs> That is himself. so bizarre. Yes. That's, where we're at. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll all, you know, this episode convinced me to go to a meditation I, retreat. To a meditation. I've been to Big Sur twice in my life and I was like watching him drive up to Big Sur. I was like, oh, I should go to a meditation retreat in Big Sur. This yeah. looks so delightful. It really does. Yeah. I once drove down the whole Pacific Coast Highway except for Big Sur. Oh. 
because it was closed. I I think there had recently been some mudslides Mm -hmm. and had obscured, obstructed, whatever, the The uh, stretch of the road. So I had to take a big detour. And I'm like, oh, but Big Sur is the part that everyone was telling me, like, you'll never see anywhere more beautiful. And I saw lots of beautiful places. You got to come back, Caleb, because it's really beautiful. We'll go to to the meditation retreat in Big Sur. Well, I'll go. It'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I really actually want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I did notice on IMDb. They have a little section for like goofs and it's usually like editing errors. Like, oh, she's holding the mug and then the next shot she's not. And then the next shot she's holding it again. Someone pointed out that they frequently talk about going up to Big Sur. But if they were actually in Berkeley, Ah, they would probably be saying go down to Big Sur. But anyone in L.A. where they actually were. See, that's the self-centeredness of Los Angelinos because I'm sitting here going, yeah, you're going up. No, they live in Berkeley. They're going down. (laughs) That is really interesting. I would never have thought of that. Fascinating. Well, good good catch, fan. Good catch. That's right. That's right. Well, we're talking about Parenthood Season 6, Episode 4, A Potpourri of Freaks. It was written (laughs) by Ian Deitchman and Kristen Rusk-Robinson. It was directed by Peter Krause. Yay! And it originally aired on October 6th. 16th, 2014. And here's the TV Guide synopsis. Max forms an intimate new friendship. Elsewhere, Sarah encounters Sandy and tries to understand the role she plays in Ruby's life. Hank deals with a diplomacy challenge. Julia and Joel worry that their separation is having an adverse effect on their kids. And Crosby tries to avoid a crisis by going after Oliver. I thought we would start with Christina showing a new student around their school. A young Amy Sherman Palladino from the looks of it. <laughs> That's true. She's got that hat. little black hat. And yeah. stuff. I was like, it's Amy Sherman Palladino. I did not Gilmore even Girls think of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just that 90s look. It's that like little. Yeah. I thought she was very cool, Dylan. I must say. <laughs> she is so good, that girl. Like she's so. The, the, the guest stars in this, like between her and Oliver Rome, I just. I, <laughs> I love them. They're so, uh, what a potpourri of freaks. I mean, it's, so good. it's totally They're true. So good. Yeah. That was in the breakdown. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like they must fit this description, but yeah. I love, I think she's so good, that girl. And I, rem- I forgot about her and then watching the episode, I'm like, oh yeah, she's one that That's I actually right. enjoy. Yeah. She, she's great. And she kind of drove me up the wall, but I think that means That's she's playing her part good. well. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. exactly. I think yeah. that was how at least for Christina we were supposed to feel. See, I was quite fond of her the same way I'm fond of Holden Caulfield. And I have a theory that they're the same person because um, what really made me think that was getting kicked out of the fourth school. I'm like, oh, or like this is my fourth school. I'm like, this is Pensy Prep, your last chance. I don't know. That's just, yeah. (laughs) So literary. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) But I love Holden Caulfield and he drives other people up the wall, but I have a real soft spot. So... I think that might be, yeah. Something else that drove me up the wall, the fact that Christina is the headmaster. Yeah, I hate it. I mean, now (laughs) we were kind of wondering, like, is this, okay, she's she's running things, right? And now they literally said headmaster Braverman. Yeah. I looked it up, and indeed, there are no hard and fast requirements that I could find, at least Mm. in a quick Google search, to qualify one to run a charter school. Mm. But- I just think that when the entire purpose for the school existing is that these students have highly specific needs that can't be met by public schools with their silly requirements that every administrator <laughs> have like a master's, you know, yeah. I, it just feels like the height of negligence to hire a politician 
who's yeah. largely been out of the workforce for the past decade and a half and who founded the school. It's like, what are her qualifications? Yeah. And I also think as this storyline brings up, there's a pretty huge conflict of interest Yes, that she started this school for her son and is now running it. Yes. It's like when it's as small as it is, especially when there's only 40 kids, how can she be sure she's giving equivalent attention to all right. the students? It just was really distracting. I agree with all that. I mean, it's so easy for her to still be involved, but get somebody else to do the day to day that has like some type of therapeutic qualifications with pe- kids with neurodivergencies and special need. Like you can still be involved, but maybe not be in charge because this is a very specific thing that you have to be yeah. good at. <laughs> I agree. Bring back Gabby. Bring back Mr. Knight, yeah. who was going to be there. He was going to be. Yeah. What yeah. happened to him? Where'd he go? What is he doing? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or bring in someone new. Is there someone in yeah. Hank's family who could do fill that role? Since they seem to just be everywhere. <laughs> no, yeah. it just, I'm the same though. I, I think again, as a teacher, it really rubs me the wrong way because it's this, like, first of all, there's that expression, you know, those who can't do teach. And I feel like this show, for the most part, with the exception of Mark Sear, who is portrayed as an amazing teacher, this whole storyline makes it seem like, well, anyone could do this better than highly qualified people, clearly. And, and, <laughs> right. and I mean, I know that Christina is very intelligent, and I think she's a really good parent to her children. But this episode really made me convinced that she is not very good at disciplining other people's children. Like, I actually thought she was terrible with Dylan. And I... That scene was... Yeah. 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 So I have lots of thoughts. But anyway. Well, since you brought up that one, let's discuss that one first. Because literally... My first note on that scene was, Melissa, thoughts? (laughs) Hey, Dylan, can you please come here for a moment? Is this my first trip to the office? Can you have a seat? Oh, I prefer to stand. I'm sorry? I prefer to stand. Really? Okay, well, I'm going to have a seat. Okay. Um, Here's the thing, honey. At Chambers Academy, we don't call each other names, okay? We treat each other with kindness and respect. Uh-huh. And dignity. Okay, do you think you can do that? Sure. Perfect. Um, but I didn't disrespect Max. Well. No, your you're... son has Asperger's. That's just a simple fact. I mean, I thought we were supposed to celebrate our differences here. Look, I think the real problem is attaching stigma to the word. That's what makes it derogatory. Asperger's by itself. That's just a DSM-5 diagnosis, Christina. Actually, it used to be a DSM-4 diagnosis, but it's not anymore. And don't call me Christina. Call me Mrs. Braverman. We go by Mr. or Mrs. or Ms. for staff yeah, and yeah, teachers. Yeah, I want to rethink that. The first name thing worked great at my last school. It was totally progressive. The kids really responded. That's not what we do here. That is not what we do here. Okay. okay? Sorry. Okay. Okay. You're dismissed. Oh, so I can go? Go to class. Okay, thank you, Ms. Thank, thank you. you. Amazing. She's out of her depth. (laughs) So out of her depth. Because, you know, these are things you go to school for and get trained for, like behaviors and classroom management. She doesn't have any of that. I really thought it was such a mistake how often she was getting, Christina was getting into like a, like a power struggle with this teenage girl, you know, like the whole point, I think, for Christina was to show Dylan who was boss And that's just entirely the wrong approach. I mean, all of this would have been different if she was like, could you come in here for a moment? And when Dylan said, is this my first trip to the office? Which I agree, you could take that as rude, but like you could also take it as funny and you could just say, 
Well, I guess technically, but nothing like that. I just wanted to ask you, I've noticed you're calling Max Asperger's and I was wondering why. And then she explains that for her, that she's got, and I believed Dylan when she said that she didn't mean it as an insult. And I think it's an entirely different conversation then. And, you know, like, even if she's like, well, I don't know, it makes me a little uncomfortable. It's not really the tone I'm wanting to set here. Would you mind maybe not doing that? I think that would be very different from, we don't do that here. You know, like, I I, I don't know. I'm just jumping (laughs) to all these conclusions. Yeah. She also jumps into like mom mode because they ask Max later, like how he feels about it. But I feel like the first thing would be when Max says, like, she calls me Asperger's, like immediately you say to your son, like, well, how does that make you feel? Yeah. Because if he gets hurt by it, then you can address the girl and say, well, we don't do that. But if he's like, oh, it's a nickname. Because I don't think they ever really like clock in with Max. She just immediately is like, that's offensive. That's insensitive. And it's like, you are interpreting it that way, but these kids interpret it differently. And you need to understand how their brains work because they're neurodivergent. They work differently than ours. So you can't just like get into mama bear attack mode like that every single time. Absolutely. I thought the same thing. She kept calling it bullying. Yes. And to me, I was like, but when I hear Max describe what's happening, it doesn't sound like he's feeling bullied at all. I saw you sitting with Dylan today, the new girl at lunch. What are you doing? She seems like a very nice girl. And his mom, I'm allowed okay. to ask him, okay, I'm off the clock, right? She calls me Asperger's, not Max. Wait. What? She says she knows that I have Asperger's because I don't make eye contact and I say weird things. She also says my Asperger's is what makes me weird. She doesn't call you Max. She says, hey, Asperger's? Yes, that's not appropriate. That exactly what she that's says. actually Sorry unacceptable. So I'll have a I talk mentioned with it, her. but she says she likes calling me Asperger's. She also calls me freak. What? And she says that Chambers Academy is a potpourri of freaks. Oh. She said it was a potpourri of freaks? Those were her exact okay. words. And she also agrees with me that we should be able to go off campus for lunch, especially since this is Chipotle two blocks away. Not going to happen. And that Chambers Academy is the equivalent of a minimum security prison because they don't let us leave. Well, she had wow. quite a conversation with you, didn't she? Also, since my parents are the administrators, I should be able to get special treatment, like lunch furloughs. And then if I can't, I should stick it to the man. And you're the man, Mom, in that situation. <laughs> you're the man. <laughs> I wrote down that quote and put LOL and you're the man mom in that situation. <laughs> it just seemed to me like he clearly liked it, but yes. Amy, your point's even better. Like check in. If you have yes. any doubt, ask him yeah. and find out for sure. Cause I mean, as we find out later, yeah, he has no problem he with it at all. Yeah. Yeah. He starts saying, I forgot he starts saying all the positive things. Like he's like, Oh, she calls me Asperger's. And it's like, Oh, but we do agree that we should have this. And she, she says I should have special privileges. So like he immediately makes it, he's dropping hints that he likes and agrees with this girl. Yeah. And so they should pick up on that and go, wait, he's, he's, he thinks that she like he likes her. He's saying positive things. Maybe he's okay with the Asperger, but it's like, no, she's inappropriate. She's no, we have to have a conversation with her. We have to get at her. Like that's not the approach to take with kids that have Asperger's and don't attack is not the move. It's not the move. (laughs) It's also really interesting how teenagers use language in new ways to separate themselves from adults. I mean, this is my 17th year teaching and, you know, I find the slang that they use fascinating because it's changing all the time because, you know, they have to separate themselves from the students I used to teach, you know, like it's just (laughs) always happening. And like the one that really blew my mind earlier this school year, a bunch of my LGBTQ kids we're using the word fruity as like a neutral to complimentary term. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like I was like, yeah. I was like, well, I, 
I will not be using that term to describe a gay person. Apparently the meaning has completely flipped in their worlds. And I didn't tell them they were wrong. I just was like, I don't think that's going to be my route because I'm not of your generation. Like, I don't think that Christina and Adam should suddenly start calling Max Asperger's, right? (laughs) Because that doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah, but it is interesting how, like, things that we maybe think of as offensive, kids are, like, constantly redefining what things mean to them. And there's, like, power in that kind of... I don't know. Yeah, it's true. There's a way to separate from the generation ahead of you. And like, that's exactly what's happening here. And it's like Christina's inability to look at it from an administrative point. She's looking at it simply from a mothering point of like, I need to protect my child. But like, your child may not need protecting in this moment. Your child might be okay. So don't create a problem where there isn't one because there's going to be plenty of problems. Trust me, you will have your share of problems. Don't create them. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a struggle that Christine has had throughout the whole series about like overprotecting and stuff. And now I'm just realizing it's reason 9,947 why she shouldn't (laughs) be in a position where she's now literally with her son Every hour of the day. Yeah. 24-7. Like that's just going to enable this well-intentioned but bad tendency she has to overprotect him. Yeah. Well, and like we said too, she's learning on the fly. She's not, she hasn't studied like kids like this. Like my sister just got a master's degree in therapy, like in whatever it's called. I can't think of the word. But anyway, but she's studying specifically two, three years of how to talk to kids that are neurodivergent, how to handle them, how to deal with situations. And like Christina, the whole show has been reading books on the fly about how to deal with a kid with Asperger's, which is fine, well-intentioned, commendable that she's even doing that. But to put her in a position of like, okay, now you're in charge of 40 people who have this. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. And it's not just Asperger's, it's autism. It's all sorts of, it's the spectrum of it. So it's like, you're struggling with just your son's stuff. You might not want to take on more of the spectrum <laughs> that might be overwhelming for you. Yeah. And I'm sure they must have done this for like story purposes, thinking, right. well, this will be what she can do in season six is run this school. But I feel like, well, I have two thoughts on this. One, it certainly would have been at least one good episode of her overstepping right. someone else's authority. Yeah. If she founded the school but wasn't running it. And of, of course, her inclination would be, let me be really involved and hands-on. What if whoever the headmaster was said, you know, I'm kind of doing this and yeah. I'm really qualified and I know your heart's in the right place, but you are not. Just be a parent. Yeah, That would be an interesting storyline. And then secondly, I feel like I've said at least once that I don't love that so many of Christina's storylines define her almost solely as a mother. Yeah rather than as like a person like what is she interested in what fires her education and imagination that's it. <laughs> you know? and, and and that is even only because of max the education system is not serving right. her son she wasn't all that interested in education when hattie was excelling right yeah <laughs> you know yeah. It's like, all right. when the system was working for for hattie and i'm yeah. like how about okay you ran for mayor that didn't work what else do you want to do right now that you've got this new lease on life yeah, Just it's catering a little, to Max it feels a little like a control issue too, because it's like she doesn't trust anybody to sort of take Max and run with him. Like I'm thinking about my mom now. Like my mom worked my whole life as a writer, and my sister had a lot of neurodivergent issues. And my mom put her in the care of like multiple therapists in schools that were specifically for kids with 
Asperger's autism or ADHD. And my mom sort of just let trusted that these institutions and these people were going to help Katie become who she is. And they did. And then my mom had her whole life of her writing career and her, she's won Emmys. Like she did her own separate thing to define who she was, but was still there as a mother. She just, she knew enough to be like, this is out of, this is out of my expertise. Yeah. I love my daughter, but I didn't study this. I don't know the best route. These people do. So let's let them help her in the things that I can't help her with. And that also feels like, it also feels like trusting Katie too. Yes. Like I'm going to trust you to navigate this and I will be here with unconditional love and support and everything as your mom. But yeah, but I trust you to be an adult and grow up and learn and take what you're Yeah. And she did. My sister works at Netflix. She has a 401k. She has her own apartment. She's got a boyfriend. Like she's doing just dandy. That's awesome. Like, you can do it. Um, Christina, take note. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I I do think it's troubling when people just sort of naturally assume that they could do something better than, than professionals. And I get that that school failed them, but it is interesting to me that their, their next course of action is for Christina to become headmaster. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, and I was thinking about it while we were talking about this. I mean, this happens in real life where, you know, like lots of the students at our school, their parents are teachers at the school. I even once taught the principal's son, you know, like, so, I mean, that does happen. But like, for one thing, it's a school of 1600. So it's much less, you know, they're not hanging out together all day because the principal's in his office and, right. you know, this this kid's living his life, going to class. And, you know, some, some kids choose not to have their parent, if their parent is a teacher, they're like, I'll just take the other, you know, the other person who teaches this. Or if they are in their parent's class, they like really work it out. And they're like, how's this going to go down and all of that. Plus, like you said, Amy, she is learning on the fly. It'd be different if Christina had been a principal, like her entire working life. Oh, and now it's Max's turn. Well, I know how to do this, so it'll just be fine. No, no, she started the school so she could be headmaster for Max. Like it's totally different. And your school even lets kids like at my elementary school, if your parent was a teacher there, you were not allowed to be in your parents' class. That was my elementary school. And even my sister's best friend's mother was a teacher and my sister was not allowed to be in that mother's class because it was her best friend so she like knew her too well yeah so if there's even like a too close of a connection they won't let you that conflict of interest like they they won't even let it happen because it's too much that makes sense I think at both high schools I've taught at it's been a little different and I wonder if it's you know they're just a little bit older but like also sometimes like if someone's the only person who teaches a certain class and they want to like it's an AP class or something they might make exceptions but I still think that they try to avoid it and yeah yeah it makes sense you don't want to have that conflict because you you know she's like oh am I mom or am I principal it's like you can't turn mom off no you can't turn it off what are you talking about like yeah coming to me as an administrator or my dad it's always gonna be dad yeah you cannot turn dad off <laughs> no. sorry about it i do want to speaking of adam i want to give him credit that he several times i thought like kind of checked christina in this episode where i think she needed to be checked <laughs> <laughs> amy's pointing to her <laughs> yeah. adam is 
swoon worthy. <laughs> yeah, he was. This was a good episode for him. I thought. Yeah, he really. With the kids in the Peter Krause had directed it that. Way. <laughs> <laughs> Can we make Adam look a little better? Here? <laughs> That's true. Like this is my time. That's <laughs> a good point. Redeem Adam. <laughs> oh my god. But he like points out. You know, she's not peeing in his canteen. You know, like literally he says yeah. that. Like, like, you know, we, we're not sure that this is what's happening and, you know, stops her from going over. And during lunch, that would have been humiliating for Max. Like, you can't do that. Like, He literally holds her. Like, he like pulls her in like, I'm not, <laughs> you cannot physically go away, but they're absolutely not. No. Uh, yeah, he does do some really nice things in this. Yeah. I also want to commend Nora, uh, who like, has full on lines now. My locker sticks on 23 and algebra sucks. Don't say sucks. That's, That's right. That's Don't say sucks. Why can't you say sucks? In front of your little sucks. sucks is a verb. Okay. Oh my sucks gosh. Sucks is a verb. <laughs> and she delivered in a line really well, not like a little polished Hollywood child actor. Yeah. Although, also, how old is she there? Two, three? I, I don't know. She's about three. Three. Yeah. yeah. Don't say sucks. The no, older right. she gets, the more I'm reminded that those twins go on to be on Jane the Virgin. Did you know that, yeah. Amy? Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. And they're so cute. Oh my god, just yeah. ridiculously and talented. Yeah. I also had forgotten in Christina's scene with Dylan where she says Asperger's used to be a diagnosis, but it's not anymore. I didn't know that the show ever acknowledged that. Because when the show began, we were looking things up and researching and realizing, oh, people actually don't use this term anymore, but mm. it's all over this series. Yeah. And so we're always a little like, oh, what should we say? What should we say? But even the show itself even here, <laughs> she acknowledges in passing, like, actually, it's not a formal diagnosis anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So here was the surprise that it seems like everyone saw coming. So what's going on at school? Why do you and mom keep asking me that? Well, it's it's a new situation. I want you to know you can talk to me about anything that is of interest to you or something's bothering you at school or someone. Like maybe Dylan. Or if it's okay, then it's okay. Are you here as an administrator or as a parent? I am here as your dad, Max, just as your dad. Then I do have one question. All right. Anything, go ahead, shoot. What do you do when you like a girl? Um. Okay. It makes my heart melt every time, the way he delivers it. What do you do when you like a girl? You're like, oh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, but even in that instance, like Adam, I think he he has a, a feeling that he might like her because he says like, when you, what does he say at the beginning? It's like when when you like something or someone or something's bothering you, but he says like, He's he's unsure if it's like a like thing or if it's a bothering thing. He yeah. gives him the options. 
So something in the back of his head must be like, maybe he likes her. Maybe that's, maybe he's okay with this. So it's like, why not address that before we confront Dylan, please? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was going to cut his own hair um, because <laughs> yeah. she told him to. Like, <laughs> like I don't think he would have done that her. if Trevor had said, you look like you're in a boy band, <laughs> you know, yeah. just throwing that out there. Was that the kid's name, the bully? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, who peed in the canteen. Yeah, yeah. I have a hard time evaluating the Dylan storyline because I know where it's going and yeah. I'm not going to spoil anything yeah. yet, but it's one of my, it ends up being one of my least favorite story arcs of the whole series. And if I remember correctly, I feel like it's the major misstep of season six. I have forgotten. So I'm going to have to look it up. I've forgotten where this goes, but in this episode in isolation, it is very sweet and it, cause yes. it feels very innocent. And I didn't know that both of the parents have at times wondered like, what is his future going to look like? And is he going to be able right. to connect with someone that way? And this feels like a little sign of, yeah, yeah. he's going to yeah. feel the things that all teenagers are feeling. And right. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Well, in the previous episode, we were treated to that bizarre, angry motorcycle ride from Crosby yep. where he like spun out. And I thought, Nothing ever happens with this. And Melissa said, oh, no, no, no. I think something does. And then lo and behold, Shabar jumped on Crosby. It's like, oh, they do follow up on Crosby's accident. Yeah. I had remembered him lifting his shirt and seeing the bruised ribs. Bruised, That's really yeah. all I remembered. For And in my mind, it was like way worse than it actually was. Like I, my memory of it was that they were like completely black and blue. <laughs> yeah, they actually like was a small bruise. They, I mean, it, it was a bruise, but I was like, I thought when he like, ah, it was like a bigger thing on him. Was yeah, not. like a uh, bone sticking out of it. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it did open up this debate between Crosby and Jasmine. Oh my God, I cannot begin to tell you what an idiot Oliver Rome is. He's on tour making a ton of money, having a blast. That's too much for him. So now all of a sudden he's at a spiritual healing center in Big Sur and he's in negotiations with Submoto. I mean, if he signs with them, Lunch Nut's done, that's it. So I have to go to Big Sur now because Adam's not going. He's got a school to run. Go to daddy. Baby, I think a spiritual healing center is a really good idea. Go up there, get a massage, mm-hmm. seaweed wrap or something. Well, I mean, I guess the ride there will be relaxing, which is maybe the only upside. Drive. The drive there. No, no, I'm gonna ride. I'm gonna ride the motorcycle. It's Pacific no, Coast Highway. No, you're gonna drive Red the Woods. minivan. You're not riding the motorcycle. We just had that discussion earlier today. No, no, no. We we discussed that the boy couldn't ride a motorcycle, but. I, as a grown-ass man, I'm going to ride the motorcycle. No, you're going to drive the minivan. I am not driving the minivan. Really? There's no world in which I am driving that minivan. You're driving the minivan, buddy. (laughs) He didn't call it a vagina. Is this progress? (laughs) I'm so surprised that it didn't cut to him driving the minivan. I mean, like, that came several scenes later. I was like, remarkable restraint, really. Um, (laughs) Really fascinating, too, that nobody caught drive up. Yeah, that is wild. Like, you know, there's a lot of writers in that room. Nobody, and even then it got onto the stage and then they shot the episode and still like no crew member, like no one was like, guys, it's set in Berkeley. They're going down. Like not a single <laughs> person caught that. Yeah. That's very strange. I found this debate interesting because I happen to think of motorcycles as like a for real deal breaker for me. Oh, like wow. if I was with someone, uh-huh. I was like, oh, I love motorcycles. 
I'd be like, you're giving them up or you're giving me up. Wow. And this is largely because of a friend of mine, Amy, I think you know, Caitlin. Yes. And her husband got in a horrific motorcycle accident, suffered a traumatic brain injury. Oh, wow. It all has turned out as good as can be. They have a little baby now and they've stayed together and he's much improved. But it's going to be... I mean, there's lifelong consequences of course. for him and the whole family because of that. And I just thought, no one needs to ride a motorcycle. That's It's an unnecessary risk. And I'm just not going to be involved. I'm not going to be responsible if you get in a horrible accident because you were on a motorcycle. I just, yeah. I would have to really love someone so much to not ditch them. Wow. Like they said, I can't give up a motorcycle. I'm kind of with you on that, Caleb. My uncle had a horrible, horrible motorcycle accident like a couple of years ago. And so I'm with you on that. Like, I don't know if it would be a deal breaker, deal breaker, but I don't like them. I don't like the idea of them. I don't like, I, they, they, they're very unsafe. I don't, you know, Mitchell. Yeah. Sorry, Mitchell. He got his motorcycle (laughs) license and he was riding motorcycles for a while. And I was like, Mitchell, I honestly like go back to smoking cigarettes. I don't like either of them, but I would rather at this point you do that than a motorcycle because it's, they're not, I don't, they make me nervous. Yeah. No, yeah. really driving that he's driving it to Big Sur. That's a road that is as windy as, yeah. forget it. You're going off that cliff. Don't even. Right. Yeah. But I will say this, if it was a deal breaker with me for someone, they would know that from the outset. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't spring it on them. And I just thought the communication here was so awful. It was terrible. Jasmine just decreeing yeah. that Crosby can never again ride his motorcycle. Like he already gave up his houseboat, his car, day yeah. drinking, public urination, <laughs> and all this other stuff public at Jasmine's urination. bidding. And um, got to give him something, Jasmine. Yeah. Although listening to this clip, I suddenly also remembered he didn't consult her at all before getting this motorcycle. Yeah, he, he just showed up with it. Yeah. Like, well, okay, so maybe she has a little bit of a leg to stand on because he just shows up with a bike and, you know, her reaction, I guess, is, joke's on you, I'm not allowing you to ride it. Yeah. <laughs> but moreover, I really wish the show had delved into some new conflicts for Jasmine and Crosby yeah. rather than returning over and over to... Crosby's an overgrown child and Jasmine yeah. has to mother him. Yeah. It's yeah. not really very flattering for either character. No. And I kind of feel like if those two people were as stuck in that rut as they seem to be, they wouldn't have stayed together this long. Yeah. Jasmine would have run out of patience. Yeah. And Crosby would have been like, I'm going to go live my life. Yeah. I actually think they probably would stay together, but just they'd be miserable. I know so many couples like this, so like where I'm like, why? Oh, that's tragic. It's really sad. And I'm, I'm often like, why do people want to get married if this is what marriage seems to be? Michael. But I think, a, yeah, but I think a lot of people just think that's what marriage is, honestly. Like, like the, the yeah. woman is the nag and the husband tests, you know, as far as he can get away with. I, I, I hate all of that so much. But yeah, I agree. I didn't like Jasmine's approach. Just like with Christina and Dylan, I'm like, you are setting up a power play. And wouldn't it be so different if Jasmine said, Crosby, you were just in an accident. I'm so scared something's going to happen to you. And honestly, if you get into a wreck, if you have a traumatic brain injury, 
whose whose life has forever changed? Yours, but also mine. And now it's yeah. my job to take care of you. It's not fair. You know, I mean, our children get affected by that then. Yes. Like your children are then having to deal with their father in a certain state or whatever it is. Like, absolutely. Yeah. And I just think she makes it seem like I'm no fun. I'm saying, no, this is me having yeah. power over you. And I'm like, it's just not an effective strategy either. I, I think she has great reason to not want him to do this, but I, I just, yeah, I agree. The communication was terrible. It actually reminded me, my husband has never ridden a motorcycle before, but he's an avid uh, bicyclist and he used to not wear a helmet. And it drove me crazy. I, I was so worried all the time. And yeah. Finally, I, I just said, I was like, babe, I, I don't know what I have to say. I, I, I really want you to wear a helmet. You know, and he was saying things like, I actually think it throws me off. I'm not like paying attention as much. Um, and then eventually, I think I said some version of if you get into a wreck, I'm worried. Like my mom was a caretaker for the last 13 years with, with my dad. It, you know, and I think he was like, you're right, you're right. And he has since, you know, he's on a bike ride right now wearing a helmet and he's been in a couple of small. So you believe. So I, I believe, no. <laughs> no, but he's, I mean, he has he's, a helmet on Caleb. Yeah, he has it on. Has it on. <laughs> no, he's had a couple of small wrecks um, in the last few years. Because, uh, I mean, when he bikes, he goes for like 30 miles. I mean, he just goes forever. And um, he's like, I'm really glad I've had the helmet. He's like, I, I think it would have been pretty bad one of those if I if I hadn't. And so it's, it's yeah, but I, I think it just never would have worked if I'd been like, let me tell you who's boss. <laughs> like, I don't right. know. There shouldn't be a boss. Oh, you're wearing the helmet. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a partnership. Like, that's how it's supposed to be anyway. Well, and communicative. It's like the minute you start to get people out of, like, their own heads of, like, okay, I know why you don't want to wear a helmet. I hear you. But, like, let me counterpoint that with some reasons as to perhaps why you should. Yeah. And then it's, like, making it seem, oh, you know what? You're right. Yeah. Things that they didn't even think about before. Like, Crosby's just thinking like motorcycle freedom. This is my life. And it's like, yeah. okay, but you have children and you have a wife and you have siblings and you have nieces and like, there's other yeah. things that you yeah. could be doing to enjoy your life that don't, a consequence wouldn't affect a wave of things on other people. Yeah. It's tunnel vision. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Crosby takes the minivan up, down, sideways, in, out to Big Sur. <laughs> and at Big Sur, the guru is played by Dave Gruber Allen who was the second troubadour and minister on Gilmore Girls. Yay. He was also on Freaks and Geeks. He was great on Freaks and Geeks. Oh. Yeah, he was the guidance counselor. <laughs> he was very funny. And also, Melissa, healer number one, which was the name of the character on IMDb, <laughs> is played by Mark Fight. Really? F-I-T-E. Oh, my goodness. Explain yourself, Melissa. Do you have a relative? <laughs> On Parenthood. It's wild. There are fights out there, but like, I don't know. It's such a rare name that I assume I'm related to all of them, but um, I don't know this you guy. You may have recognized Mark Fight from Friends as the salesman who sold Ross the couch. Yes, thank ah! you. That he ended up cutting in half. Pivot. I didn't look it up and I knew the face and I was like, what, yeah. is, it? what is it? It's always a friend's guest star. Always. Weird. always. He's what? the guy who's like, oh, you two will really enjoy that couch. Like, we're not together. And he goes, That's oh, it. yeah. Uh, something to check out. <laughs> I mean, she's very, you yeah. know. And you're, and you're you know. You know. <laughs> Caleb, I could see him now. Thank you so yeah. much for that connection. Yeah. That was it. And while we're talking about the Gilmore Girls guy, listeners, if you ever do watch Gilmore Girls and you get to a year in the life, 
the four part kind of revival of it, you'll see lots of parenthood crossover in those. You'll see Peter Krause up, you'll see Mae Whitman, and you'll see Jason Ritter. Yay. Of course. But while we're at Big Sur, my memory of it was that it was ridiculous yeah. and like not in a good way. And watching it again, I felt like it was ridiculous, but in a pretty entertaining way. Yeah. <laughs> I laughed out loud a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I feel fully sound bathed, you know, sonically cleansed to the max. Yes. Hey, thanks for inviting me to spend the night. I feel really close to you now, especially after that weird yoga exercise we did. Which is all the more reason that I want to make sure we don't lose you. So you got to tell me what Adam and I got you. I'll be shushing one second. You got to tell me what Adam and I have to do to keep you from signing with Submoto. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. Give us one second, okay? You can shush all day later. I already signed with Submoto, man. You didn't sign with Submoto. You're saying you already signed with Submoto? You told me you were in talks with them. Are you kidding me? You signed, yeah, I heard you. I heard you the first 25 yeah, times. Those talks concluded right before. You already signed. So I just spent the night with Rip Van Winkle for no reason? What are you shushing? Shut up! You're not helping. You're making it louder. Don't you realize no, that? This is good, but you this is good. Go. You know how I know this whole thing's crap? Because this is one of your members. Oh, this guy's a fraud. We were the only ones that stood by you, and no one else would. We recorded you. We gave you your career, and this is how you thank me. Let it go, man. Hey, it's gonna be good. He talked. He talked. Give it to me. You ruined it for everybody. All right, he's talking now. Crush. When does the Kool-Aid come out? Let's do it. Let's light this place on fire, okay? You guys want to be cleansed? I gotta hand it to Dax Shepard because the back and forth of the like, no, no, I got it. And then continuing the conversation yeah. had the potential to be like so chaotic, but I was with him every yeah. time he broke away. <laughs> I followed him the whole time. The Jonestown's references. Those were funny. <laughs> he called it attended Jonestown, which made me howl and then when he says when does the kool-aid come out i was like you got (laughs) (laughs) they're crossing so many lines but oh uh... i did laugh when does the kool-aid come out give him a demerit (laughs) he talked i did look up i was like look crosby referenced two separate cult leaders because then he also calls him koresh yeah. Koresh is David Koresh, who was the leader of the Branch Davidians, whose Waco compound that's right. was infamously raided by the FBI in 1993. Oh, that's the set it on fire. I didn't understand the yeah, set it on fire. There yeah, there it is. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then Jim Jones. And then Kool-Aid is, Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. is yeah. the Jim Jones who led a cult called the People's Temple, which gave its members poisoned grape flavor aid at Jonestown in Guyana in 1978 which resulted in the deaths of 907 people from cyanide poisoning. Oh, my Lord. Absolutely crazy. And then there were other people that died before that, though, because, like, reporters and a senator came in and they shot them at the plane. Yeah. So, yeah, there were more deaths from other means. The fire thing, though, I was like, Jonestown didn't set on fire. What's he talking about? Waco said that's right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of deep, a lot of deep cuts about cold. <laughs> yeah. He didn't get a Heaven's Gate joke in there. Oh, I know. Come uh, on. The Heaven's Gate moment. I was oh. curious. This this meditation retreat, 
Does it at all resemble what real meditation retreats would look like? Because my whole guess was that this was very, like, I think the thing that kept me from fully enjoying it was that it did feel like just a bunch of cliches wrapped up, like, like, you know, (laughs) like, this is not what it would really look like. But then once I got past that, I just, I did enjoy it. And it does seem like something that Oliver Rome would go off and do. So like that part checked out for sure. Yeah. percent <laughs> A day of silence. Yeah. yeah. To find himself. Yeah. 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 He's so pretentious. Yeah. And I did kind of sympathize with Crosby when he's getting shushed. Yeah. And not, I mean, he should respect the people around him. But I also wanted to tell the shushers, I'm like, guys, he's clearly not going to be quiet. Like, just stop. It's not, it's not working. So either you need to remove him or give up, but just continuing to shush is a horrible idea. From the outset, when he comes in the car and they're like, he's like, what's going on, guy? And they're like, shh. And he's like, no, no, no. Yeah, sure. But I'm looking for Oliver. It's like, he's not, he's not understanding that it's a quiet time. Like, move on. Now, I wanted to know if this was, like, something that could really happen with a contract. Like, did Oliver Lo- Rome, like, really find a loophole that his band had a contract with the luncheonette, but not him as a solo artist? I was like, is that is that something that could really happen? I wondered that, too, but it must be, because if you're just signing the band, then presumably, like, their names are not on the contract. It's the name of the band. And it's like the brand of the band. So I think like as long as their individual names are not listed as part of the band. Because wow. I was also thinking like bands like Fleetwood Mac or other big name bands where the members sort of rotate, like people come in and out. It's the band that's under the label. It's not like the people because people leave and go. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it would make sense that it would be whoever's part of the band in the moment is the band. Yeah. Yeah. It made sense to me, especially when Crosby was criticizing Adam for the contract. Because like I was trying to think about like, well, Destiny's Child and then Beyonce or like yeah. NSYNC and Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Yeah. The contract would be with NSYNC and not with Justin Timberlake. Although I'm sure at that level, in that day and age, it probably specified in the contract. In sync, which consists of Justin Timberlake, you know. And I think what Crosby is saying is, oh, Adam, you didn't put that in the contract? Yes, I can see that. And that, I, I felt like, yeah, Adam wouldn't. But then I also thought, Crosby, this is also on you because shouldn't the two of you look at the contract together? Like, I just thought you both messed up. What was that line? He was like, "You, I thought you got all your music news from Starbucks, he says to Adam. So it's like, (laughs) you already know that your brother is not like that adept (laughs) at knowing the way that the music industry works and that like the band, the people in the band are just as important as like the band itself. So like maybe once he draws the contracts up, look them over. Like just double check his work. (laughs) Or if only they had like a lawyer in the family. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who they see all the time. Yeah. Bring her in for a second. Yeah. She was able to help with the school. Let her help with this. Especially I... since apparently if Oliver Rome leaves, luncheonette is done. I'm like, yeah, someone it's... was offering you millions of dollars for this at the end of season three. And now this Yahoo is like completely <laughs> responsible. The fate of everything in his hand. How like, did no. you let it get to that place, guys? <laughs> that, that's... Well, yeah, and how... It... <laughs> It does feel like we're missing a lot of information because, yeah. like, last we really spent any time at the luncheonette, Ashes of Rome was going out on tour with 4D and it was like a huge windfall. Right. But that's the whole thing. He left the tour. That's why he was yelling at Oliver Rome on the phone last episode. He was like, 
get back on tour. Like he, he like oh, yeah. left the tour. Well, now that I don't understand because that would have a contract. So yeah. I don't understand how right. yeah. Oliver could leave the tour with no consequences. Yeah. Good point. But maybe they're separating the idea of the tour and then the band itself. Like if he goes off, the tour might've been a separate thing, but what, what he's concerned about is like, if he goes to another label, then they can't use them again at all. Like the band That's itself heavy. becomes like useless to the, to the luncheonette. Although didn't Adam and Crosby purchase the copyrights of the songs? Yes. So like they could, in theory, I would think, keep the whole band. Oliver leaves the tour, bring in a different singer and say, Oliver, we're going to sing your songs without you because you don't even own them. Yeah. Yeah. Or like in Taylor Swift territory where she sues the people, she makes her own new Yeah. All that kind of thing. Oliver's (laughs) version. dicey business. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, at the end of the storyline, what's with Crosby's late night motorcycle ride? I still feel like this is setting up a larger storyline that I just don't remember at all. Like, is the motorcycle a multi-episode arc? Remember, This is all I remember. I just remembered him pulling up his shirt and us seeing the ribs. And so I was pretty sure that it kept going. And now I'm like, nope, I no longer remember. But it does seem like it's setting something up. Yeah. Also, where's Jasmine's headscarf? Yeah, that's a good point. I did love Jasmine's scene with the kids and Zeke. I thought that was a sweet scene. That yeah. was good. Yeah, that was really and her the baby that baby is so gorgeous that little girl oh my god yeah but Jabbar yeah. I also wrote something I was like Jabbar is the sweetest but most gullible child in the world I when know. he's like I'm thinking he's like okay tell me when to go I'm like oh. a little past the age of being like yeah Grandpa I'll get it for you for that what prize do I win. One or two years too old for that. But. He's just too sweet. He's been unspoiled by the world. I know. Unlike his cousin. Oh, nice transition. Sydney. Oh, my oh, God. Sid. Oh, Sid. We really appreciate you guys letting us come by. Well, we really appreciate you guys coming by. Sydney feels awful about what happened at school, so she just wanted to apologize. Go ahead. Sid. I'm sorry I told everyone at lunch not to sit with you. Sid, try it again. What? I clearly apologize. Now I just want to go home. Sydney. Sydney. Sydney, come back here. Sid. Well, that was sincere. Yeah. We will talk to her. Great, you'll talk to her so that I can get another bogus apology for my daughter? No. What I want is your assurance that this is never going to happen again. Good. <sighs> Melody, would you go upstairs for a second, please? I'm so sorry, Melody. Your daughter is out of control. Okay, I understand you guys are upset. She's clearly going through a tough time right now. I, I don't need to hear about your daughter's tough time. I'm sorry, I don't care about that. I'm so sorry. Maybe you need to stop being sorry and like do something about it. I don't know what right. else to tell you. I am so sorry. Truly, I'm very sorry. I'm gonna go talk to her. Apologies again. I'm sorry was said six times and the word apology was said four times. Just, I just counted. <laughs> I wrote at the end of it, like when he's like apologies again, I'm like, they literally just said, stop saying that. Like, yeah. why do you tap it with that? She like literally says, don't just talk to her, do something. And then Julia's like, yeah. I'm going to go talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> like, I really am sorry. I'll go talk to her. It's like, All the God. things that, that Melody's parents on, said guys. were not helpful. Uh, team Melody and her parents. Um, I mean, like they were 100% right. I noticed on my second watch how gracious Melody's mom was before the bogus apology. She was like, yeah. well, you know, we're really grateful. Thank you. You know, she was 
And then that's what they get. And then she's like, oh, no. Oh, no. This is. And then she's furious and understandably so. Although, what are they supposed to do? Because I was a little bit. I mean, I was ultimately team Melody's parents, but it bothered me a bit that they're acting like Joel and Julia are doing nothing when Joel and Julia are right in front of them, clearly trying very hard. I don't don't know. I think Joel and Julia are doing nothing um, because they never, ever give a consequence for this behavior. She completely bullies a kid. And the resolution is that they're like, baby, if you want to be mad at us because we haven't decided what's going on in our marriage, you just go ahead and be mad at us. I know you're just, you're just like me. And I, I know it's so hard. And I get that that needs to but happen. Millie's mom doesn't know that. I mean, no, it's true. I don't know. Is that what, but, is, is that what she's asking? For like, I think she's saying she just gave a bogus apology and all you're going to do is talk to her. Is there no consequence? Is there nothing like, what are, what actually are you going to do to make sure that her behavior changes at school? And the answer to that is nothing. Like that's just like <laughs> like the that that never gets resolved. The whole episode it really bothered me. Instead, it's acted like Sydney has no choice but to bully her classmates because we are going through marital struggles. And while I feel very bad for Sydney that she's in a painful situation. Guess what? So is Melody. You called her fat and told everyone not to eat with her. And she did yeah. nothing to deserve that. And no one's doing shit for that little girl. <laughs> it makes me furious. Yeah. Sorry. Um, no, so. I'm no you. you're I, I was, so right. I'm in sort of both of your camps. Cause I do agree with you, Melissa. Like it's the talking and saying like, Oh, I know you're hurting. Like that doesn't really lead to a change of behavior. And they honestly like created this monster because they have over the past seasons, just like let her do whatever the hell she wants to do. But I'm also in the mindset of Kayla where it's like, okay, what consequence or what could they do that would change the behavior? And I started to try and like, think of like, is it therapy? Do they have to put the child into therapy? Is it more talks about the divorce and the separation so that she really understands what's going on? Is it like taking the TV away for a week, but then will that really change the root of the problem? Like it's that sort of like dealing with the immediate consequences of what you've done to bully this girl. But then also like, how do we address all the stuff underneath it that has created this girl to be, and like, she's what, 10, 11 at this point. So she's not completely out of the realm, in my opinion, of changing her personality like there's still time to change her as a young woman but I'm in both camps where I'm like well what do you do well they're not really doing anything but what could <laughs> like is it therapy is that what it is or is it like you have to have a play date with Melody and you have to get to know her so that you humanize her because she dehumanized her and yeah. said she's fat to sit with her so how do you how do you teach a child basically how to humanize another child? That's, I think that's my question. It's a like, great you, question. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like how do you how to do that? Well, Melissa, the way you laid it out, like I agree with everything you said. I think I was reacting in the moment of like, well, what are they supposed to do here on the doorstep? Right. Right. Melody's right. parents. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know what you're waiting for here, but maybe that's not what they meant either. Like, yeah. and it, it, it is infuriating that Sydney gives a half-ass apology and walks away and they just go, Sid, Sid, yeah. like, um, grab that girl by the arm, use your size advantage and yeah. keep her there. Yeah. So you don't get to just walk away from this. So maybe, maybe that or yeah. yeah, or like Amy, you mentioned therapy a couple of times. 
the the line that really cemented my fury was when Joel and Julia are like, what are we going to do about this? And I think Joel even says something like, is it, is it yeah. therapy? And Julia's like, yeah, that's not it. She's in chaos because <laughs> like, cause we are, oh, you know, and I missed that dismissal. Okay, yeah, yeah. She just <laughs> dismissed the idea of therapy. I'm like, I think she could use it. She's bullying. What She's going through some, pa- yeah. yeah. And, and I just thought, what monsters are these parents creating? We got Max, we got Sydney. Yeah. It's just catering the whole world to them. Their pain is all that matters. And their pain right. matters. I don't mean to minimize that, but they sort of act like anyone else's pain does not matter. You know, right. oh, these little other kids. It's like collateral no damage. Yeah. There's no perspective of like, no. what is the hierarchy of like, who's in the worst situation right now? Or like, and the humiliation of young, like a young girl in front of everyone, like that has lasting damage. So how do you, yeah. how do you communicate that to a 10 year old? Like what you've done, this little teasing bullying thing you've done is going to now affect this girl for the rest of her life. Like, and when you say you- we'll talk to her, I would like that conversation and not right. just sorry, baby, that we, we don't know what's going on with our marriage. Have that talk, but also <laughs> have the talk about <laughs> you are hurting this little girl Right. Yeah. That might be what I, yeah, that's it really. Like, how do you think this little girl feels now that you've done this? But yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so much that they're not talking about. And that scene between Joel and Julia drove me up the wall for that very reason. I mean, when Ron said she was out of control. I know. You think you should talk to the therapist or? No, I don't think so. I think she is out of control though. Because we're out of control. I mean, what are we doing? I don't know, are, are we stalling? It, the uncertainty of us is too much for her. I guess it's been hard on both the kids, but you know, we're doing the best we can here. I don't, I mean, I thought that you moving out would be the hardest part of this for them, but this is worse. They're just in limbo. I, we, we, we have to give them some clarity. Okay, we need to tell them we're not getting back together. And you're ready to to say that to them? Like I said, this is maddening to me because this is the conversation that I think they need to be having. What are we doing? Where are we? What is our status? And yet they're still not actually having it. Joel clearly doesn't want to split up. And I'm like, Joel, this is the moment to express that. Right. Why isn't he? I mean, maybe it wouldn't do any good. Maybe Julia has decided. Maybe it's too far gone. But you'll never know if you don't try. And just skulking around, thinking to yourself, oh, I wish she wouldn't say that. Pipe up, man. I mean, <laughs> you already moved out. I-, I just don't get what the purpose of him not saying that is. It feels to me like the show is keeping them apart or keeping them in a state of confusion against the will of the characters themselves. Interesting. And it <laughs> makes it ring false to me. Yeah. Also, so far this season, it seems like Joel has been quietly wanting to get back together. But we've never gotten any information as to what brought about that change of heart. 
Yeah. Like why? And it's okay if he feels differently. I would prefer him and Julia to be together. All of their, in spite of all of their issues, yeah. I'm like rooting for them to stay together. But I don't know why he has changed his mind. I can kind of understand more so why Julia has changed hers. Like it was a big shock to her, even though I don't think she should have been as oblivious as she was. She processed it and I feel like she's kind of beginning to move on and maybe just doesn't want to go backwards. Okay, I I get that. I don't understand what Joel is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It's interesting you say like it feels like it's against the characters because they're sort of playing that way too, where they're like, we don't know why we should we just (laughs) Peter Kaza as the director really loves the pauses. Oh yeah. (laughs) He does, doesn't he? Like his scene with Max at the end, it's like there's very long pauses before he says what he's living in the silence for some reason <laughs> lord knows why uh-huh. but yeah i agree with you caleb it's it's the uncertainty of them starts to get a little tedious yeah. like i need something one way or the other like that is most likely why sydney is acting out like she's probably the audience like oh my god make a decision i'm just gonna do crazy <laughs> things until you make a fucking decision. <laughs> like, she's uh. the representation of us but yeah, it is. And I forgot about the fact that you sort of don't know why, like, Joel is all of a sudden like, well, maybe. Like, he just comes right back into it for some reason. But won't say it. Yeah. But won't say it. Yeah. He's just like, how's your dad? And she's supposed yeah. to pick up on that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't infer, know. infer, Julia. Infer. I care about you, Julia. What? What does that mean? Another communication issue between the. Like, and just how. I mean, maybe it speaks volumes that she's like, we have to get some clarity on this. And then she just decides we're not getting back together. Yeah. And he just goes along with it. Like, well, this is how you've made every other decision in your relationship, isn't it? Julia yeah. just decides and Joel feels whatever he feels and doesn't say anything and goes along with it. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, I think that this is the thing we're all supposed to care about. And I, I do. But also, it's the thing that we've been told to care about with between them for over a season now. And so I think... It just, for whatever reason, didn't work on me. I'm like, no, I actually care about little Melody. Did everyone see her? She's adorable. Um, So so I was just like, (laughs) I think everyone else was just supposed to understand, like, Melody is just a device, not a person. She is what's prompting this serious talk. um, And and that's all you need to care about. But for whatever reason, I was like, no, I actually care about that storyline. I would, but yeah. I think that's part of the exhaustion though. It's like, I'm exhausted with these two. It's like, you can't can't make me care about them over and over and over. If it's the same conversation and the same like wishy-washiness over and over and over. That's true. I I lose interest after a while because I'm like, grow up. Yeah. Make me I got other things to worry about. Yeah. You can only break up Ross and Rachel so many times before I'm like, I actually don't care if you guys end up together, which is how I felt by the end. Walking a fine line. Yeah. But... Well, so I was more invested than you guys. It seems, <laughs> I, I mean, it did, but I, I was still, still frustrated. Train, You're yeah. still there. Good for like, you. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I loved this little kind of surprising scene that I did not remember between Zeke and Julia. So what's going on with you, kid? Oh, you know, just doing what I do, ruining my kids' lives. Parents screw their kids up. That's just the way it is, honey. It's been that way since time immemorial, I think. Doesn't matter, married, divorced, whatever. I gotta screw them up. That's just uh, the nature of it, you know? So I just think you're so special. <laughs> I mean, the only way not to screw them up is not to have them. And, what a shame that would be. 
I'm gonna tell you something, girl. You're one of the best moms I know, honey. I mean, you're, you're loving, you're compassionate. You have such a big heart. And Sydney and Victor, they know that. They trust you, they love you. You've been that way since you're a little girl. It's gonna be okay, kid. Thanks. Can you do me a favor? Yeah. You put your head on my shoulder. I love the idea that they probably said to Craig T. Nelson, like, all right, for this episode, you're going to sit in this set on this couch <laughs> all day. And we're just going to bring each person to you one by one. So you're going to do one with Bonnie, one with Monica Potter, one with Eric. <laughs> like, you're just going to, one at a time, they're going to come to you. And he's like, great. Sounds I'll be good. Here all day. <laughs> Sounds great. And his face after she puts her head on his shoulder. Yeah. It's like it's medicine for him. And he's just, oh. Is that where he starts crying at the end of that scene? Does he tear up a little? There was one I that I wrote. To like, him. He does tear up. I think it's that one where he starts crying. And I was like, why does he? I couldn't really quite figure out. Maybe he's just moved by like giving advice to his daughter. He's like reminiscing about his own kids. I couldn't figure out like in his storyline of the episode, why that conversation would like trigger him to cry. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but the way I interpreted it in the moment was that he was in such discomfort yeah. and pain throughout the whole episode. And that was like a balm, okay. like a moment of, well, this is nice. I can. I see just that. got my little girl here, putting her head on my shoulder, and yeah, I could still enjoy that. That makes sense. I'd buy that. Yeah, me too. Because maybe, maybe his conflict in the whole episode. I mean, obviously he's he's in pain, but but I also think like he feels that sense of mortality. I feel like, or may, maybe he's just wondering like, mm-hmm. how, how much longer? Yeah, how much longer yeah. can I keep this up? What? am I here for? What's even my purpose? Like I, it made me think that it was like big issues like that and being able to, yeah, help Julia in that moment and make her feel comforted. Yeah. That I would buy like, Oh, this is why I'm here. Yeah. But that I can yeah. understand. Yeah. Like, yeah. what am I doing here now? Oh, I'm here for my kids. I'm here to give my kids advice and help them in their lives. That's, that's why I'm here right now. Okay. That makes us, that makes yeah. a lot. I like that, but I'm glad you asked that question. Cause I hadn't really thought about it until you yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. And what he said to her, his advice Melissa, it reminded me of a poem. Really? Are you proud? Uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> it reminded me of a poem called This Be the Verse by Philip Larkin. Oh, cool. And the first stanza of it is, they fuck you up, your mom and dad. Yes. They may not mean to, but they do. <laughs> they fill you with the faults they had and add some extra just for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I know that one. I've yeah. heard that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I read a book called They May Not Mean To, But They Do. And I thought, what an odd title. And then I looked that up and that's when I discovered, oh, this is referencing a poem. I see. And uh, But I think what he said, while it was kind of comedic, like, don't think you're so special. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> actually had some real value too, because I think it's very human that whatever you're experiencing, you think, I'm the only person that's ever dealt with this and everyone else is like doing it better than me. Right. And in a way, there's some narcissism in that. Like, mm-hmm, yeah. oh, Julia, you think you're such a terrible mom? You're not. You're doing fine. Every mom struggles. Right. And every mom feels like she's not doing it right. You're just like everyone else. Yeah. So yeah. maybe cut yourself a little slack. Do the best you can. Although I feel a little differently after Melissa, you like enumerated the ways that <laughs> she could be doing better. And they were very 
clear. It wasn't like you're asking the moon, just like, um, can you punish her for, yeah. <laughs> for doing something she shouldn't do that I know you don't want her to do? Yeah. But I, <laughs> I feel like that is maybe what prompted her at the end to not tell them they were not getting back together. Yeah. And like kind of honor Joel's. <laughs> I liked this scene more before I had heard Melissa's <laughs> thoughts on it, but I'm just gonna play it. it for you. Yeah. yeah. Are you staying for dinner? Or? No, buddy, I'm not. I'm not staying. Okay. When are you gonna stay, Dad? Well. Uh, Sydney, come here. Come here. All right, listen to me. I know it's hard not knowing what's happening with me and your dad. We've been talking about that. And, hey. and we're sorry. I wish I could just tell you right now what's happening. But the truth is that we don't know. We just really want to make the right decision and we don't know what that is, so. Oh, sweetheart, you and me are so like, I know I hate uncertainty. I hate feeling like I'm out of control. I, sweetie, but I'm sorry. It's, it's just. It's just the way it is, Bug. I'm sorry too, it's just, I know, but it's something hey, the grown-ups are trying sit. to figure out. Don't run away from this, please. I don't wanna talk about it anymore. Okay, we don't have to talk about it anymore. I just want you to know that if you're mad at me, it's okay. And if you're mad at dad, it's okay. All right, we're not going anywhere. But also, you can't bully that little girl. <laughs> I feel like the end of that scene just needed to be like a, okay, now that we've we've understood everyone's feelings and what's going on, let's just for a minute talk about what happened with Melody too, because that is that can't happen again, and this is why, and we're going to do this and that. Like if there had just been a little tag yeah. addressing yeah. that at the end, I feel like Melissa would have been happy with it. I, I would have been, been Yep. But the fact I'm with you now, Melissa, like the fact that it's not addressed and like, I guess you just have to hope in like the world of the Bravermans that it was at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, like, yeah. Maybe that was just off camera. Yeah. yeah. It's gotta be a part of it though. Cause it's gotta be like, okay, let's talk to you like an adult and really get into why you're feeling this way. There's the root. Here's the surface stuff that you can't be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something you learn when getting advanced degrees in education, Melissa? Cause like it does seem exactly what Amy just said. Like there's two things happening, mm -hmm. like yeah. the behavior and what's causing the behavior. And there's definitely addressing what causes the behavior. And I think that's good. But I think the downside of the way the show was using that bullying incident is that it truly is just a device. Yeah. The story yeah. the show wants to tell is Sydney's in distress because her family's falling apart, which yeah. is a valid story to tell. Sure. Yeah. But then they're using another human being right, and right. her own distress yeah. as just a contrivance. Yeah. And then they're discarding it when they're done with it. Right. And it's like, but you never stopped that, which she also can't do no matter what the cause of it is. Right. You can't go around hurting little kids' feelings. No. They almost needed to like either address that or change the incident yes. right. to be like she was disrupting class or she said she swore at a teacher or she said something mean to a teacher or like she's not doing her work. She's looking out the window. Yeah. yeah. Like it's some more general yeah. that doesn't like focus in on another child. Like yeah. it's 
some other type of behavior that they can then address the root of the problem. But then we can sort of discard the behavior because it's bad, but it's not like you're not now ruining another girl's life. Yeah. And, you know, this is stuff that you would learn about in like education classes. You would have lots of scenarios. I remember when we took like the Praxis test, it was like, how would you handle this, this and this? When you're interviewed for a teaching job, they would give you scenarios and you'd have to say what you would do. And then professional development for the rest of your career, you know, more and more it's been just this idea of like compassionate teaching, which doesn't mean it's consequence free, but it means that you like do try to get to the root of it, like instead of getting into like a power play. And so I think it's good that they don't just try to get into a power play with her the way that everyone else in this episode does. <laughs> but they just, yeah, they completely drop it instead. You know, the, the same way that I would have liked Christina to, to say, why do you call Max Asperger's? I would have liked for Julia and Jewel to say, why are you lashing out at this little girl? They're actually just assuming that the reason she's doing it is because she's in pain about the divorce. They're probably right, but they don't actually know because they're not actually having hardly any conversation. Maybe she just genuinely hates fat people. (laughs) Maybe she's just mean. I mean, and I don't, I don't mean it. Yeah. I mean, they got to make sure that they're raising someone who's respectful and empathetic well, and that's also, like I said, like their, their window is, is getting smaller. Yeah. Yeah. The window yeah. is getting smaller to form her, her ways of thinking and her behavior. Like it, we're getting to an age where it's like going to be real hard to turn back. So let's cement it now. Let's put yeah. it in the ground now, guys. Yes. Yeah. I also continue to find it fascinating. The subtle clues they give us that Victor handles this kind of volatility way better. Yeah. yeah. As of course he would, because he's experienced a lot more of it. Yeah. He's yeah. like, are you staying for dinner? No. All right. Mm-hmm. He also <laughs> he has just perspective. He yeah. has perspective of like, my life yeah. has been this horrible. So yes, this is bad, but in perspective of my life, yeah. we're going to deal with it. Whereas like Sydney has been the freaking golden silver spoon in her mouth so she's yeah. like yeah the end of that world. that's also caleb when you were saying like zeke's line of like you're not that special like mother like daughter we got this like <laughs> yeah totally. that's true my yeah. world is ending and it's like you're not that special like yes yeah, shit's bad okay i'm not gonna invalidate that but like let's put it into some perspective here guys like lord yeah. of mercy your worst yeah. thing that's ever happened to you is that your parents who love you are in different houses, which I get sucks. I mean, I don't mean to minimize that, but like, you just have to think about, I wonder what the worst thing that's ever happened to Victor is, you know, like a a mom who was in prison for drug abuse, you know, like just. And he got sent to this house with total strangers. Yeah. A few hours notice in the care of a social worker. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like if they were having consistent conversations with Sydney about empathy and other people having it worse, maybe her way of coping wouldn't be to bully someone (laughs) just or to say to Victor um you know your mom doesn't even love you probably like you know like I mean I just worry this is a pattern with her and that they're not addressing it so well because it's all we've seen of her for the whole series now is this like (laughs) ratty attitude where you're like oh girl okay yeah yeah but it's like who causes that yeah yeah I will say one nice thing about season six being the one I remember the least is that I I have a lot of genuine surprises. And in that yeah. scene with Sydney, I really thought Julia was about to tell her we're not getting back together. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. The first time I watched it, I'm like, oh, 
shit, she's just not checking in with Joel and Joel never said anything and this is what happens. Yeah. So I was surprised when she was honest with her and I thought it was the right thing to do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like tell her tell her what's going on even if it's hard. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why they don't know, but they don't. (laughs) Yeah. Well, a couple that I actually think is functioning way better in season six than they ever have before is Sarah and (laughs) Hank. Who who is it, Caleb? Who is it? Now, Amy, you you were always a little more team Hank, right? I am team Hank all the way. I I think season six is vindicating you a little because Hank is great in this season. Yeah. Yeah. And they feel quite stable while still feeling like themselves. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not like, yeah, Hank's great this season because he's a completely changed person. No. He's not. He yeah. is less cantankerous. Yes. But she softened him a little bit. Yeah. But he is I would believe that would happen once he was in a stable relationship. Yeah. Yes. And he's once happy. he felt like yeah, I'm happy I'm in something that I really wanted and I made it work. And, yes. And he's trying to improve himself in ways that Sarah is working with him on. And that, that mm-hmm. all feels really good. And I'm enjoying them a lot. Love them, guys. Love them. <laughs> yeah, I I like them in this season. I, I do think that there was some problematic stuff in the past, but I think I think it is an interesting testament to the power of like, how do you put this? Like when you're feeling um, stable and safe, which probably Hank has not felt until this season, the whole time we've known him, you know, like even when he was in love with Sarah, she was in a relationship and he, you know, like, so I think, I mean, I think he was behaving kind of badly in a lot of ways and maybe didn't have the tools, like didn't know how to, how to handle it any other way. And didn't know why maybe he was the way he was. Yeah. Right. He's had some answers or potential yeah, answers. Yeah, I think that's contributing for sure. He's yeah. like figuring things out about himself. It's interesting too. He talked about like his ex-wife, like I don't know how to talk to her. Mm-hmm. So it feels like he didn't, because he hadn't figured himself out, he was always in relationships or situations where he just didn't speak for himself. And Sarah's giving him the opportunity to like actually speak for himself and grow up and say his own opinions, which is that is person. Yeah. <laughs> that is such a great point that I didn't think about. Yeah. Like yeah. why was it different this time? I think I was kind of just going off the surface of like, well, he and Sarah are stable. Mm. But yeah, I think if he knows himself better. Yeah. If he knows how to talk to people and why it's difficult for him, yeah, of course I would help him talk to someone. And he, but he, in the past he might think, "Well, she, she can't be talked to. She can't be right. reasoned with." I mean, he tells Sarah she's crazy. Yeah. You have to take everything she says with a grain of salt. Yeah, and yet when he finally talks to Sandy, she's super reasonable. She's about totally it. fine yeah. with it. Yeah, she's obviously she's not crazy. Yeah. Not crazy. It's a testament to Sarah too, because it's like once Sarah knows what's going on with him, she can also guide him in how to talk to people. Because once she has the information of like, okay, he might have Aspergers or he might be on the spectrum, so I'm going to handle him slightly differently than I would my kid's father. Or uh, there's yeah, yeah. people like. I remember too, like when I found out my sister had ADHD, like I changed the way that I spoke to her or that Mm -hmm. I helped her with things because I knew that her brain was working differently. Yeah. But once I knew that it changed my relationship with her because it made it better because then I had sympathy or empathy towards 
how she navigated the world. And I didn't come at her from a perspective of like, what the fuck is wrong with her? I'm like, oh, oh, she has certain neurodivergent things that I have to adjust my own behavior to. Yeah. So Sarah's helping him with that too, which is just making him an all around better guy, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like everyone was behaving like mature, rational adults in this storyline. Cause like when Sarah had the talk with Hank about like, well, Sandy dropped by and, well, let's just play that, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, doctor called. You're due for oh. a checkup. Yeah. Ellie Patel is changing her shoot day. Oh, and your ex-wife came by. <laughs> came by here when Yeah, she was looking YouTube? for you. Yeah, we had a nice little chat. It's huh. not an image I like. <laughs> All right, yeah. look, listen, listen, listen. She's crazy, okay? So anything that she says, you just got a grain of salt in. So she didn't mean it at all when she said that she doesn't want me spending any time with Ruby. I don't know. She meant that. Okay. Yeah. But why wouldn't and you tell me uh, that you had that conversation? She said she told you that, and I guess you were okay with it. I'm just trying to keep everybody happy and, and, and separate. I don't think well, you can keep things business. separate. We're, you can't keep everyone just in their own little box. But what do I got to tell her anything for? It's my relationship. It's our relationship. Because she I seems mean. to think I'm some sort of assistant with special benefits. Well, I mean, she's, she's got the wrong idea about me. Of course she has the wrong okay, idea because well, she's crazy. Nobody can read your mind, so it might be the kind of thing that is important to, to talk about. I can't. She just... Mm-hmm. I, I go in and I think I know what I want to say, and she just keeps talking and talking, and and suddenly I'm agreeing to things that that I don't even understand. Can't talk to her. I'll talk to her. So I'll do. How hard can it be? I thought Sarah handled this. Pretty well. Yeah. Because she clearly had an opinion about the situation. Yeah. So it's not like she was being calmer and more objective than anyone could be (laughs) in the heat of the moment. But I thought she was totally in control of her emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And she's clearly not a fan of Sandy's based on their limited interaction. But she didn't make the conversation about how unreasonable Sandy was being. Yeah. Just that she had the wrong idea about her. And she also wasn't, like, attacking Hank either. Like, you got to stick up for me. You got to... It wasn't that. It was just like, Hank, I think you're going about this the wrong way. I don't think you can keep everything separate. And I think she's very confused about what the nature of our relationship is. Yeah. And the way that he said, like, I can't talk to her. And she's like, yeah. Okay, I'll talk to her. Yeah. And I thought that's smart because I felt like that was him recognizing that Sarah's not going to leave him if that conversation goes badly. That's not writing on this. Right. But she's supporting him, but she's saying, like, I think this is something you should talk about. And that's, like, her little nudge, and that she will still be there when it's done, however that goes. So, I, I don't know. I was just, I'm really liking everyone being mature. Well, I think what you're liking, Caleb, is that we talk so much about how so many couples are miscommunicating yeah. and are miss. Yeah, this is her literally saying this has been a miscommunication. (laughs) We need to do something about it. Like she's the first one to be like, (laughs) yeah, I'm not angry. We're just not communicating the way we should be. So let's fix that. And you're like, thank God. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and even in Sandy's scene with Sarah, 
when she lays out, because like last episode, it was the total Anna Nardini. Yeah. I don't want my daughter ever spending any time with her. And I was like, what? What? Why? But in her conversation with Sarah, she said, this is nothing personal about you. Right. I just moved here for Ruby to have time with her dad. And I don't feel like that time necessarily needs to include you. And I think while Sarah was visibly a little like, whoa, you just said it. I felt a little of that like Lorelai Gilmore mom code. Like, yeah. hey, it's your kid. And you know, I get it. You get to decide who she's spending time with and you don't know me and right. you don't know what my relationship is with Hank. So of course you would maybe think this. I thought Betsy Brand's delivery on that too was just like, cause it was exactly what you're saying, Caleb. Like it wasn't attacking. It was just yeah. like, this is how I'm feeling about this. And it was a mom code. It was, it was literally long time being like, I get it. I, I get it. I need to talk to Hank, not yeah, you. Yeah, not you. Yeah. I'm not mad at you. I, I understand why you're saying this, but we need to clarify what this is. Yeah. And it makes Sandy seem less like a monster exactly. than she did in the last episode. She was just like, yeah. what are you doing? She's stealing. Didn't I tell you that? Yeah. <laughs> Although I guess I am still a little confused. I didn't understand why Sandy's initial instinct would be oh, Hank says that this is his girlfriend, but clearly they're just sleeping together and she shouldn't be around my kid in that case. Like, I was just like, why, why are you assuming that? And why does knowing that they're actually serious make all the difference? Why, why wouldn't you guess that they were serious? But then I was like, maybe there's information I don't have. Like, maybe Hank hasn't had a serious relationship since Sandy because That's what I he doesn't see. know how, <laughs> you know, honestly. Yeah. Like, it seemed also like based on their conversation, Sandy and Hank, that like that was the first time Hank was truthful with her of like, this is what this is. And I feel like that was like probably in the past, Hank was not as direct or as like, this is what mm. this is. So she was just assuming like, oh, Hank's a, you know, Hank's a screw up. No one's going to want to be with Hank and he's dating around. And, but I did think also, Melissa, to your point, like it was a little weird to me that she was so concerned about it given the daughter's age. Yeah. Like it felt like if the daughter were a toddler or like a young girl, then I would be like, let's not introduce anybody new until I know it's serious. But like, she's a fully grown teenager. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. She understands like girlfriend, boyfriend relationships. Like she's got that perspective in her brain. So you need to be so mama bear with her. I think she'll be okay. Yeah. If she's old enough to steal, she's old enough. Yeah. To steal. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I just came up with that. That's pretty good. I like Thank that. You. I think it all works. And and talking to you both, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit like it makes more sense to me now, especially replaying what Hank said about wanting to keep everybody separate. Maybe it makes sense that he wouldn't have really gone into great detail about what Sarah means to him because yeah. he's trying to keep them separate. So he's downplaying the relationship. So maybe that's yeah. how she got the wrong idea. Also, that line made me laugh so hard because I'm like, oh, you're equating happiness with separation. He's like, if I keep yeah. everybody separate, everyone will be happy. And it's yeah. like, oh, that's already a warped way of thinking, buddy. Like, yeah. that's not a solution to it. And he said, I was like, oh, my God, happy and separate. Come on, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> work together here. Gosh. But that told me a lot about him. I was like, oh, that's how you've been going about the world. That you yeah. think if they're separate when they don't like each other, everyone will just be happy. But you can't coexist in a space like that. It's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Hank. Oh, Hank. You know, I will also say 
it would be so interesting if Ruby attended Chambers Academy because there's a kid who's actually rude. Like I've had so many students who remind me of Dylan where it's like sort of playful and they just kind of are feeling you out and it's like, which way are you going to go? And I think yeah. if Christina had been able to be like a person with her as well and not locked into a power struggle, I think she'd find Dylan delightful actually. Like, but Ruby yeah. is not delightful in any way. <laughs> like she's like representative of like the worst behaviors I've ever encountered. Um, I, I would the really struggle. Twenty one comment. Yeah, I was like, so rude. Well, yeah. I mean, that's just hateful. And I, the I just thinking like, what does that mean? No, yeah. Riddle me this: Would it have been a bad idea for Sarah to insult Ruby back? Hmm. Because oh, and I'm joking. I love you both. Like actually, <laughs> well, it's interesting because I feel like the obvious answer is no. But I was like, Sarah's good with words. She used to be a playwright. I think she could really hurt Ruby and teach her a lesson because that's what I wanted to do in that moment. Yeah. When she made fun of her clothes, like, oh, just strike back. If she had said something back, like, would Ruby have then respected her more? Maybe. Like, would that have changed Ruby to be like, probably not. I don't think so. Someone on my level. Okay. Because Hank, none of it would have gotten Hank. I do wonder what would (laughs) Hank do? Like, oh, he's like, are you fighting? I don't know. My girlfriend was just (laughs) really mean to my daughter. I think he probably loves Sarah more than Ruby, but I think he knows he shouldn't. <laughs> I think he's like, I'm supposed to defend Ruby, but Ruby's a little brat. Yeah, but Ruby needs to be put in her place a little Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a way to put her in her place without doing a retort that's like rude yeah. and cutting. And I think maybe it makes sense that she's just kind of letting some things go right now. But I imagine eventually she'll be like, no, this isn't happening. Something I sometimes do with my students, and it's sort of a last resort, and it's not really a strategy so much as just what happens, but I'll, like, get really upset, like, like sad. Like, I'll, I'll just be like, I'll just let them really see the humanity, and I'll be like, wow, okay, yeah, I don't think I did anything to deserve that. I don't know where this is coming from. I think I'm pretty respectful to you. Okay. You know, something like that, like yeah. that approach. And I usually don't do that because I... I don't ever want to manipulate or anything, but I don't do it to manipulate. Like I'm, I'm professional and professional. You take it, you take it. And then you're like, I'm a person though. Yeah. Is that I'm not just a teacher and nothing you say can penetrate this. And so I think eventually Sarah's going to have to do something besides just smile weakly as this rude kid. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to throw her off her game though, which is like probably, I mean, that's part of what you're doing, Melissa, when you do that is like, they're, they're on such a warpath of just snark that it's like, yeah. if you throw them off a little bit, that shakes them. And then yeah. they're like, wait, what the fuck? What yeah. just happened? Yeah. Absolutely. Which they need sometimes. They need to be shaken up if they're consistently like that, which Ruby's just on like a warpath for some reason. It's like, let's smack her down a little bit. Yeah. yeah. A warpath of snark. I have to use that. That's <laughs> a great... Warpath of snark. That's a great phrase. She's the very worst. Yeah. I. She really, I'm like, are we supposed to be worried about Dylan's behavior? Because I'm just not. If we've yeah. got her in the same episode. Yeah. I did like her response, though, when she said, is that Forever 21? And she said, no, it's sometimes 40. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was funny. I was like, that would have broken me down. If I was a snarky kid, I would have been like, God damn, she's funny. All right. Yeah. She's <laughs> all right. Yeah. She'll <laughs> be fine. If Lauren Graham were going to be my step parent, Roll out the red carpet. <laughs> dream of dream. That'd be fine with me. That's funny. 
an interesting thing about the Hank conversation with Sandy, which I was, and I relate everything back to my sister who has said, I'm fine to talk about her, her ADHD on this podcast. Um, I got her permission. He says, let me go first when she sits down to have a conversation. Oh yeah. My sister does that with me all the time. Interesting. It's an ADHD thing. And she also has to voice note me like texting is very difficult because she has to get it out because it's like Hank said in that speech, like I start to try and say what I want to say. And then she starts talking and then I just end up agreeing with whatever she's saying. Oh. I think that's very much an ADHD thing where if, if they don't get out everything they need to say right at the top, they start to forget things or the way that you will then say things will make them think differently and question things about themselves, which I think is a multitude of things that comes with that, like society telling them they're wrong or how they're interpreted in the world. But I thought that was really interesting where he immediately was like, just l- let me go first. Just let me go first. And I was like, <laughs> that's triggering because that's what she does every single time. <laughs> let me get everything out first and then you can talk. And I'll be like, all right, go ahead. I'll listen. <laughs> what do I'm you got? I'm so glad you mentioned that because I did note it at the time, but I would not have remembered to talk about it here. And I just sort of bought that he needed to get it out first. But hearing you explain why was really illuminating. Yeah, I really appreciate that I think that's what it probably was because it's what it is she tells me that's what it is with her she's like I will lose my train of thought and my ideas will change and twist if I hear you first I just need to tell you yeah and then I can have a conversation about it and I'm like that makes sense yeah well last but not least let's discuss Zeke in yeah. this episode yeah Amy you already mentioned that scene with Jasmine I had more thoughts about that because Jasmine has barely been in any episodes this season even though she's actually been in every episode oh (laughs) Uh, but she's like it's literally like cameos yeah Yeah. but this episode she had scenes and dialogue and stuff and we're just noticing that she especially in the later seasons is very underused yeah and uh, i loved seeing her and zeke together and i i just thought those two could have had a really great relationship like yeah. Jasmine is maybe the most no bullshit member of the whole family. Yeah. And Zeke is nothing but bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I think now he, I think would respect her mm-hmm. in yeah. a way for not being cowed by yeah. his big personality. Absolutely. And I think she could withstand him. Yeah. I'm like, there is stuff to mine there. Yeah. That would be a You're really so interesting right. dynamic. It's like a wasted and then opportunity. Also, Absolutely. When he sends Jabbar on the iced tea relay, Jasmine has a little reaction to Camille making Zeke get the tea himself. Uh-huh. And in that reaction, I thought, mm, there's a lot to mine there with Jasmine and Camille, too, and how they both have to handle their overgrown man-children yeah. husbands. They should bond over that. Caleb, they should. Thing is that Zeke, I think, in I would argue his the child that's most like him is Crosby. Crosby and yeah. Zeke. So it's a it's an absolute parallel of like Crosby and Zeke and then the wives together. So that is those four would have been a very interesting thing to mine. The yeah. different yeah. dynamics. Absolutely. Yeah. Camille and Jasmine should have been like okay, trading notes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They even lived with them last season and they didn't yeah. mine any of that. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous. Oh, well, the series is ending. Nothing <laughs> 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 to mine. It's done now. Yeah. <laughs> I loved Bonnie Bedelia in this episode. I she was fantastic. Wrote it like yeah. 50 times. Gosh darn it. I loved her so much in this. <laughs> yeah. She's amazing. For anyone who's wondering, I'm sure there's someone out there. Rooster Cogburn is a 1975 Western <laughs> starring John Wayne as the titular character. 
And Catherine Hepburn oh. as Eula Goodnight, who Zeke mentions. Oh, Eula Goodnight and Rooster Cogburn are about to team up. Yeah, she did sit down and say, who's Rooster Cogburn? <laughs> 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 oh. Now, I'm not exactly sure how they could have done this, but I felt like the Zeke storyline could have been executed better. It felt to me like they were just telling us that they were really concerned Zeke wasn't moving without showing us. I, I just kept thinking, is it so bad to let a guy whose chest was just cracked open take it easy for a while? I was maybe unclear about how long he had been in the hospital. How long had he been home? Yeah. It seemed to me like he just got home. Is he supposed yeah. to be moving around a lot? Is Camille right to be this worried and I thought maybe the storyline should have started with him like already having been home for a week or like maybe he should have been coming back from a checkup where the doctor cleared him for light physical activity or so- something. Yeah. I just felt like, leave him alone. Why does he have to walk? <laughs> yeah, like uh, a little more time passage would have been helpful. Yeah. Yeah. But what did you think, Amy? Because like you said that you had just been convalescing. Yeah. Right? Well, it's interesting, too, because I I related it to myself. And then I also I live with a 97 year old man and a 79 year old woman who have been married for years and years and years. And there's a lot of parallels in terms of like his declining health as he ages and then her fear and concern watching him that happen for him and saying to me, like, we need he needs to go for a walk. He needs to do exercises. He needs to do this and that. And it's I, I could see that in the episode, which is. It's like wanting to turn the clock back so desperately and so badly and wanting them, especially she has that line in the episode where she's like, he's never had any physical ailments our entire relationship. He's always been active and moving, which is the same with the man that I'm living with. And to see such a rapid, sharp, like nothing scares crap out of the wife because she immediately starts to see that like, this is it, this is the end. Hmm. And so I, I believed a week is a little soon. I will give you that. Like if there had been at least a week or two of a time passage, like, okay, he's had his time to heal. He's rested. Let's get him up and moving. But he's so sat in it that he doesn't want to get up. Then I would believe more like he's not doing anything. He's not moving. This is he's given up. He's given up. A week is a little soon to say he's given up. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little too fast. I was, my parents didn't, I had staples in my stomach when I had my surgery and it was a week before I got the staples out and I was not supposed to be moving a lot. I was supposed to be walking as much as I could for a little bit of time, but I, not that much, like maybe 20 minutes a day. And then I really was not supposed to be like showering by myself, getting out of bed by myself. Wow. I really wasn't supposed to be doing any of that by myself. My sister wanted to sleep in the room with me the first few nights because if I got up to go to the bathroom, she wanted someone in the room in case something happened Wow! for the first week, at least. It was a lot of like, don't move, you're healing. There's internal healing, there's out healing, which his was a heart thing. So there's internal stuff that needs to a minute to breathe. Yeah. So I, I will agree with you that it it was a quick amount of time, but I really understood that Bonnie Bedelia fear of if he doesn't move, he will give up. And the longer he waits the more likely it is he won't get up. And then it just becomes harder and harder and harder as time goes on to give him something to get up for. And then it's the wife is in charge of watching. That's why my heart breaks for the wife that I'm with because she's with him all the time. She's just watching him decline. 
which I can't imagine being with someone for 40, 50 years. I think they've been married 50 something years and they've traveled the world. They've been so active. He's a dancer. He's all this stuff. And then just literally watching him decline down must just be such a stressful thing to watch. And you can't do anything about it. Because he's got to be the one to say, I need to find a reason to live. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point about their history, that this is out of character for him. And I think that's true, too, because even though Zeke seems like the type who might just be like sitting down and watching the game, we've actually seen that only on a very few occasions. Yeah. Like I even thought in this episode, because it ends with that shot of him going up the stairs with Christina's help and he looks so frail. And I thought back to season one when they were doing the walkathon and he was oh, running yeah. with Adam. And it's like, yeah, we've seen Zeke out for runs and he's active and he's playing football at Thanksgiving yeah. and he's working on the car and he's always puttering around doing something. He is not a sit around kind no. of guy. Yeah. And that would be alarming. And also something you said about just the decline. And you're like with my mom and MS when I was a kid, each new level of decline, I would be kind of impatient in the way that a child is. Like, come yes. on, mom, can't you just use a wheelchair? Because it takes so long to walk anywhere with you. Right. Just give it up. And I would think she was like clinging to something that we all knew was going to go eventually. Mm-hmm. And now that I am older, like last year I worked with a music director who has Parkinson's. Mm. And he was not conducting the show. That's why I was there. But he was still teaching the music to all the students and he would conduct them through it even when it was really difficult for him. Like he couldn't even sit upright. He would start to lean until he was like literally like parallel to the floor. And I was like, is someone going to catch him? Because he's going to fall. But now I think do it until you absolutely cannot do it anymore. Because one thing I learned watching this with my mom, once it's gone, it's not coming back. Yeah. So hold on to it as long as you That's can. That's the hard thing to reckon with. That's the reckoning is like, we can't, we can't do anything to go backwards. We can't. So the minute we cross the line, it's like, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And it's a, it's a hard thing to mentally grab. I mean, he's 97. It's like, I keep saying, she's like, if I changed his diet, I'm like, it's, he's just 97. I don't know how else to say it to you. Like, yeah get older and their bodies start to slow down and there's nothing we can do. And that's sort of the case with Camille and Zeke. It's like his body is, is slowing down. And she's like, I, I can't do anything to stop it. The only thing I can do is encourage him to get up and move around. And if he doesn't want to do that, then I'm really helpless. Then I'm just here watching and I can't do anything about it. I thought this scene where he finally got up to go to the bathroom by himself when she came in and he like snapped at her and yelled at her. And she, he walks past her out of frame and she gives a look that I wrote down. Like she gave me every single emotion. It was anger, deep love, frustration, exhaustion, and desperation in a two second look. She gave (laughs) all of it. And I was like, I felt every single one of those emotions from her in that moment. And that's what it is. It's a deep love. It's a compassion, but it's anger and it's exhaustion and it's frustration. Like, all rolled, all baked into one beautiful little pie. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's very well put. I thought she played these scenes beautifully, Bonnie Bedelia. I don't know if she's experienced something like this in her real life, but she just, she nailed every, the conversation she had with Adam. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I thought that was a really 
effective way of getting Christina over there. Like that felt like the opposite of a plot contrivance. Like, of course she would be so frustrated. She would go talk to Adam. And of course, Christina would just sort of hear that and think, I think I can help. It was really well done. It's funny because I forgot that Christina goes to do that at the end. And while I was watching the scene, I was like, why is Christina in this? Like, this is so weird. She's like, why are we even cutting to her in the background? This is a conversation between them. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, because she's the one right. that I forgot about that. It was such a slick move. I was like, that's right. That's good. I forgot it too. And I, it was a slick move, especially because Christina was very sick recently. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was not connecting the dots and then the show connected them. Yes. And my reaction was, I should have connected those. Yes, it exactly. felt like the show was ahead of me in a totally legitimate way. Yes. And I thought their scene was really sweet and very effective. Oh, well, look who's here. Boy, do you look like crap. Yeah. Well, hey, did you leave the door open? Because you just take your ass right back <laughs> out again. I can call it like I see yeah, it. Yeah, well, you like know? you see it. I know. had cancer, so I get a free pass. You're a breath of fresh air, I got to tell you that. How you doing? Well, Christina, I've been I've been better. Sucks, doesn't it? Uh-huh. I think the crappiest part about being sick for me was just the people. I know it sounds so weird, but the people just really pissed me off. The sad faces and all the pity and the false sense of cheer. We can do this. The wheeze. The wheeze. We. Right. Oh, yeah. We can walk, we can... We can do it, right? You know what? Uh Yeah. I think the hardest part was just knowing how sick that I actually was and how I felt so awful all the time and just how... how scared I was. You know? You know, you don't have to pretend to be stronger than you feel. You don't. But you have to try to get better. You have to try. You got it? Yeah. Because a lot of people are counting on you. Okay. We're gonna make it. Oh, God. Cross this river. Okay. Need to think like a boy. Give me up. He plays that scene so beautifully. It's the like dismissal, but also the like, no, I I hear you. I hear you, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold it together. But I yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Like, oh, he just he walks that line of annoyance, but understanding so beautifully, so beautifully, Craig T. Nelson. Yeah. This reminded me of two separate other things. One parenthood related, one not. Love it. The one that's not is the movie Up, which I never really loved. But what? My si- <laughs> I know. I was like, why are we on a mission to track down a parrot or whatever it was? But there was another storyline going on, too, yes. which my sister Jay really liked the moral of, which is that even when you have suffered a great loss, other people are still counting on you. And you mm-hmm. can't just withdraw. And that was you know, the old man in that movie. It's like this little boy needs you. Yeah. And I know you're sad about your wife and I know you're sad about your house and I know you're sad about your life, but you got to wake up because mm-hmm. someone here is counting on you. Yeah. And, and then that made me think of parenthood again when Amber told Ryan that she loved him, but that she needed him to be responsible for that. 
And that to me was its own version of you are not an island. You have an effect on people. And if I'm going to entrust you with my love, I need you to try and Mm -hmm. not crap all over it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like the last episode when Amber told him, you know, we all get our strength from you. Mm -hmm. Zeke, people need you and you're not done yet. So get up. (laughs) Get your iced tea. And he does. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting to use her as the one to do that, which again goes back to the, just the genius of the direction and putting her in that scene before. But she was was just such, and like you said, Kayla, like, why didn't I think that she would be the perfect one to have? Of course she would be the perfect one to have that conversation with him. And correct me if I'm wrong, because you guys have watched the show more of it more recently. Do they have a lot of stuff together? Because I feel like that's also a missed opportunity for Zeke and Christina to have more communication. Only here and there. Yeah. When they do, it's lights out like this, you know? Yeah. But Or like the road trip episode. That's, that's the one I was one thinking that's... of. Yeah. Yeah. When she shows up and she says that she comes from not a great family and yes. he has built a beautiful family and always treated her like his own. Yeah. yeah. Feels like another relationship that really could have been mined a little more. They're great. They're funny. They're sweet. They like respect each other. Like, yeah. did you leave the door open? Yeah, turn your ass and get out of here. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that to their daughter-in-law, Zeke. Apparently, apparently, like, it's yeah. great. Well, and I bought the scene, but why is it that you know you said like he just had a rotating roster of yes. family members coming to see him? For the characters, why was it Christina who actually got through to him? Mm. I mean, is it just because of? I think I know why Okay, it might be mostly because of the cancer, but I also think everybody else, he was able to sort of wear down like Mm. Jasmine wasn't ever really trying. I don't think that's not their dynamic. So she was just visiting him. I don't think she really had an ulterior motive. She's like, yeah, Jabbar is going to get your iced tea. Like she doesn't try to stop that. And then when it's Julia, Julia, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just love when Zeke says the grandkid gets a prize and Jasmine goes, well, the last prize that grandkid got was a Pontiac, so this better be good. Yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I agree. And then Julia comes in, like, literally in her running shoes, like, let's go, let's go. Yeah. And it just, like, instead, he just wears her down and makes her talk about what's making her sad. And, like, legit, it ends with her joining him on the couch yeah. of sloth yeah. and, like, put your, put your head on my shoulder. Yeah, he wins, yeah. you know? He has effectively worn her down. And yeah. I think... Because Christina was sick, it's just not going to work. Like, she's not going to forget why she's there. She's not going to get distracted by talking about her own problems. Because, in fact, when she is talking about herself, it directly relates to Zeke. And so I think, yeah, I think that's why. She's grown a thicker skin since going through what she's going through. I think also just the length of their relationship. Like, Jasmine is sort of a new addition to the family in a way. Yeah. Your daughter is just going to be your daughter always. It's going to you're going to just be like, okay, daddy, what? I'm like, I'm not going to get a thing with him. A daughter-in-law that's been with your son for as many years as she has, like she has a little bit of an upper hand in that she can talk to you in a different way than a newcomer or a daughter can talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all good points. Camille's not going to get through them. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought maybe Camille would, but no, but no, not, not in this one. I did think it was a really random choice for Camille to give him that bell. Like that felt like not understanding who she was married to or something. Like he's not going to find that fun. 
And this is maybe silly because, you know, the show is like eight years ago and they're older. So maybe this just answers my question. But I thought, couldn't he just text her? You know, like, and that's just like a really human way to say I need something without like making her like into like waiting on him hand and foot or something like, hey, when you get a chance, could you get this? I don't know. It was like. That felt like a misstep to me. Like, well, it goes against her whole sort of trajectory through the whole episode too, which is like, I want him to get up and do his own things. Oh, but here's a bell, honey, that you can call me with anytime. It's like, don't give him the bell. That's you're yeah. going. Yeah. You're now you're training him like Pavlov's dog to ring the bell. Like, what are you doing? Or instead of him throwing the bell away, she should have like snuck in while he was asleep and taken it away. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I was doing this when we got here, but this was a bad idea because yeah. it's not encouraging him to get up. Yeah. The same way she regrets moving the bed into the living room. Like, and she says yeah. that was a mistake. Like, yeah. I mean, it yes. felt maybe a little just rushed because it, it is kind of interesting that she completely changes her mind. She goes from trying to make things as easy on him as possible to like sort of all of a sudden, you know, yeah. like he needs to get Oh yeah, out. like how she says her worry was she wouldn't be able to keep him down. Right. Yeah. And so, oh, that, you know, this yeah. all makes more sense. Like she thought he's going to want to go up those stairs to get to bed and that's too much. And he's going to want to get up and get every little thing himself. I'll do it. Yeah. yeah. And then she realizes, whoa. Yeah. This is well, nice. to the fear because she's like, crap, that's not what I thought. He really is yeah. getting like that's terrifying which i think also Caleb, like you said i think all of this probably could have been fixed and clarified if they had just extended the time in the yeah. beginning like if they had made it that he's been home for a week and they just have like one line where he's in bed in the living room and they're like all right zeke it's been a week like let's get up we gotta get moving yeah it would have held a little bit more weight i think or maybe if they had said how long he'd been in the hospital yeah post-surgery or something i I don't know. Also, I have lazy tendencies, so I was kind of just identifying with him, like, let him watch TV. Yeah. That just sounds like the best. Let the guy <laughs> like, just sit there for a week and watch TV. Love it. Yeah. What was that thing he was supposed to breathe into? Because my mom was in a car accident about a, a year ago, and she was supposed to do that. And um, the fact that he wouldn't even do that, you know, like that he could just watch TV, but also like be strengthening yeah. his, his breath. That would have been a good idea. I was literally given one of these. (laughs) (laughs) For everyone listening right now, I actually have this device that he was breathing into um, because my abdominal surgery, I had to build my lung strength back up. Yes. So you literally breathe into it and you try and get this thing to go up. Yes. And you have to do it multiple times a day for multiple minutes a day. (laughs) And it was the bane of my, the worst thing about my post-surgery situation was this breathing machine (laughs) ever i hated doing it so much is it painful or just annoying yes it's it's just it's a lot when you're like trying to regain the strength of your lungs it takes a lot of effort to inhale and make this thing go up and you have to hold it there's like a little indicator thing you have to like balance it so you have to stabilize your breath which is also really difficult but i saw him pull that out in the episode and i was like i got one of those (laughs) <laughs> my breathing machine yeah i mean my mom was in a car accident like a year ago and broke her sternum like oh yeah and really pain and so she had to be breathing into that and yeah. her, her partner would just like come out onto the porch when we were all like hanging out on the porch and just be like time to breathe into this like he would set timers and stuff and mom yeah. mom was gonna do it but she was like can i wait for them to leave and she, he's like it's time <laughs> it was like making her do it right that second they were pretty on me about it at the hospital because it's it's also to avoid like with your mom probably the same thing like it's to avoid a fluid buildup which yeah. could happen if yeah. you do it 
because you're not strengthening what's been weakened. So yeah, that was a, that was a part where I was like, okay, come on, Zeke, you got to start. I saw that and I was like, we got to get moving, buddy. Come Cause, on. Cause I thought of that too. I'm like, well, it's one thing to just want to like sit, but if he could be doing that while he's sitting, like there's something else he's not doing for his own health. And that was interesting. When he laughed at her, when he was like, just walk around the couch. I was like, why are you making a big deal about that? Zeke, just get up and walk around the couch. Or get up and go to the bathroom right now while she's here. Like, you know, I kept thinking of that. Like, wouldn't his trips to the bathroom be something? Like, I don't, yes, absolutely. Know. I actually started to wonder if they were going to give him like, like, you know, if he was going to insist on having, you know, like a bedpan or something. Yeah. Like I, I, it didn't go to that place, but I was like, oh, that would be interesting if that's to the degree that he wouldn't get up. Anyway. Yeah. That would feel like giving up. Yeah. Melissa, it's funny. You mentioned your mom breaking her sternum because in open heart surgery, that's exactly what he would be oh, yeah. recovering from. Yes, yeah. that's cut, true. Cut your sternum. Yeah. Oh, wow. Just watching him walk around the neighborhood and his frailty. Like I said, I thought about him jogging and Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving where he played football and stuff and just such a huge contrast from then to now. But I thought, boy, that's life. I mean, we've all had family members or loved ones who we remember as healthy and vital. Hopefully people don't get sick and injured and stuff, but everyone gets older and everyone declines. Yeah. Yeah. It's watching this stuff. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like all the conflicts in this episode were like head to head disagreements, mm-hmm. like Camille versus Zeke about his recovery and Adam versus Christina about being a parent or being an administrator and Joel versus Julia about how to handle Sydney and their marital status. Sarah versus Hank about how to handle Sandy and then Jasmine and Crosby about how to handle the motorcycle. Yeah. And it wasn't it didn't feel like a theme so much as like a common thread. Like, oh, everyone is it's like a grudge match. Yeah. yeah. From each storyline. No one really overlapped really. Zeke was really the only sort of overlapping moment. Yeah. Everyone was sort of in their own disagreements for the whole episode dealing with their own stuff, which yeah. is yeah. interesting. And there was variety about whether those conflicts got resolved or not like right. Jasmine and Crosby's was not resolved. Yeah. And Sarah and Hanks resolved really wonderfully but quickly. Yeah. 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 Joel and Julia's did resolve, but the resolution was kind of that there wasn't a resolution. Right. And yeah. Zeke and Camille's resolved. Adam and Christina's, I think is going to just get worse. <laughs> I, I don't think Christina's going to be like, you're right. Boundaries are great. And I'm, great at enforcing them. It's interesting <laughs> the two storylines where like the most communication and honest conversation happened, like Zeke and Christina and Sarah and Hank, those are the two that got resolved. It's like, yeah. what's the lesson we're teaching here, guys? We're teaching. Yeah. <laughs> if we communicate properly, we fix the problem. Look yeah. at that. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I feel like this episode, especially after discussing it, is sort of a potpourri of quibbles. <laughs> like yeah. every story, and I was like, well, this didn't really make sense, and this wasn't executed all that well, and poor little Melody. And <laughs> yeah, uh, that was my biggest quibble. And yet, yeah. I still really liked the episode a lot. I did too. I did too. I thought some really beautiful performances in this. Like everyone, I mean, they always bring their A game, but Craig T. Nelson yeah. in particular, and Bonnie Bedelia in particular, those two really just, I think, played that storyline really beautifully. They did. Yeah. That was all I had, guys. I loved it. That's all I had, too. Amy, you were so great. Three-peat. (laughs) So great to have you on. I love revisiting this show so much. And I tell people about the show all the time. It really, 
the podcast you guys have done on it is so great because it's such it's there's so much to delve into about this show there's so many different storylines and characters and it just it's the perfect show to do something like a podcast on because you could talk about I mean we've been we're almost three hours like you talk about it forever because there's so much to discuss and relate to so thank you for getting me back into it because really have a soft spot for this show in my heart. Oh, oh thank you. Well, I'm so glad that the podcast has let me meet people like you. I mean, I just love every conversation we've had. And thank I really you. love that we can re-listen to every conversation we've had. That's, That's very unusual. Yeah. Forever on the phone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, did you want to um, promote anything or any like anything? That, yeah. Do you, I have anything to promote? No, not really. Follow me on Instagram. <laughs> Okay. All right. What is your, what is your social media? Yeah. Like where can people um, find you? I think I'm Amy Jean underscore 1930. Yep. That's my drink. Okay. Also, you know what I'll promote because I'm working with a lot of people on it. You guys listen, hear me out. All right. Days of Our Lives has moved to Peacock. Oh, now, yeah. if you do not have Peacock, not just because I'm promoting Days of Our Lives, but I highly recommend getting it because I've literally watched like every single thing on there. And there are some really great shows. Like there's a lot of true crime, which I live for. There's a lot of like documentary style stuff. But Days is the best. It's the craziest show ever. If you start watching it and you don't know what the heck's going on, you can DM me. I'll catch you. <laughs> Storylines. Right now, people are dying and going to heaven, but they're not really dead. There was a devil possession. Someone's been kidnapped by a clown. Yes. It's stories for everybody. So if you've never <laughs> considered Days of Our Lives on Peacock, please sign up for Peacock and watch it because I have a lot of family and friends that work on it and I love them dearly. So watch Days of Our Lives, guys. Parenthood is on Peacock. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I highly recommend MacGruber. <laughs> <laughs> Watch it on Peacock, on Peacock. Kids. And real quick, I will say, we were talking Days of Our Lives off, uh, you know, before we started recording. And I meant to mention this. One of my fondest Days of Our Lives memories was getting back into it when I was in grad school. And we had a little TV in our office. And our lunch break was centered around Days of Our Lives. And it was the serial killer storyline. It was great storyline. Always a serial killer. It was amazing. Amazing. It's been on the air for 57 years. Like, yeah, there are people that have been on it since 1968 and 1970. Like, there's nothing like it. There are people who have played couples on the show longer than they've been with their actual partners. Like, it's bonkers. It's wow. crazy to show like this. So, it's really fun. That is a very good promotion. I love that. That was my plug. Very good plug. Okay, time for our plugs, I suppose. Um, at least until the show is over, follow us on social media. I mean, you can still follow after we're done, but we're not going to put anything on there. Um, but anyway, we are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Parenthood Pals everywhere. And you can find all of our info on our website, parenthoodpals.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.